take your scriptures as you stand and go to the uh, book of Second Chronicles. Somebody say praise the Lord. Yes, that's a good thing to praise the Lord. Second Chronicles, Old Testament, right after First Chronicles. That should help you. And uh, I want to look at a story that is powerful in its application for today. We're going to begin at verse number 15 of chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles. But let me just give you a little context so that we won't need to read everything prior. The people of God, known as the tribe of Judah, probably 150,000 of them, probably more, one of the 12 tribes, their king was King Jehoshaphat. God had given them the land that he said would be the promised land. The land of milk and honey. And they were civil people, domestic people. And as God fought their battles and cleared out their enemies, they moved in to the land. God gave them success, favor. But some of the remnants of the former inhabitants of the land, the Ammonites and Moabites and Edomites, they rallied together in a uh, numbers of groups and coalitions of nations came against Jehoshaphat and Judah. Now this won't be on the screen, but chapter 20, look at, uh, look at verse 2 of chapter 20. It said, Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, this is the king, they said to him, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea. Now, brothers and sisters, this multitude is so large that they outnumber the people of God, the tribe of Judah. They probably outnumber them ten to one. And so the king realizes how threatening and potentially annihilating this army can be to him and his people. So he declared a fast. He called all the people together and called a fast and called a prayer meeting. Said, we got we got to hear from God. And in the midst of that fasting and prayer meeting, God rose up a man, a prophet of God by the name of Jehazel. He's introduced in verse 14, but then this is what the Lord says through him in verse 15. And he said, Listen, all you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. It's a good place to say amen. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping in the Lord. Then the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. 
So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe as prophets, and you shall prosper. And when they had consulted, when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord. And who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. They were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise. Look at this minute. (laughs) It's amazing what praising can do. That's why we have praise and worship in the service. Because praise and worship can do some stuff in the heavenlies and elsewhere that no other weapon can. Verse 22, Now when they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were what? They were defeated. Stretch your hands this way and ask God to help me, and I'm going to stretch my hands your way. And we're going to ask God to help each other. Oh God, I thank you, Lord, for your resurrection power. I thank you for these precious people of God that are here. I pray that the enemy would not steal anything that you have prepared for us. That our minds would not wander and our cares would not overtake us. But I pray the word of God would find good ground in our hearts and in our minds. And I pray our faith would be increased and I pray our healing would come. I pray for miracles today, Lord. Help me pray, church. Lord, I have expectations for this service. I have high expectations because of the great promises of a great God. That everyone can be blessed and will be blessed that desire to be in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much and thank you for being seated. I I would uh, take this Old Testament story that's probably maybe 3,000 years old. And I would take it from the Word of God and ask you to keep your Bibles open to it to help you to understand today. That much of what you see in this account, 2,000 or maybe 3,000 years in its event, has a lot of application for how God would work with us today. I would suggest to you that just like King Jehoshaphat and the tribe of Judah faced insurmountable odds. You and I often face insurmountable odds just living in 2009. The Bible says about King Jehoshaphat and Judah that the enemies coming against them outnumbered them and also were better equipped militarily than the people of Israel, Judah. The intensity, the the depth of which the battle manifested itself. The, the potential of devastation was so alarming to Jehoshaphat. And his helplessness was so pronounced until he said this to God in verse 12 of the same chapter. For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. My brothers and sisters, have you ever had something come against you in life that you felt powerless about? Say amen. Amen. Have you ever felt so overwhelmed in life by a broken relationship, 
a diseased body, a betrayed trust, a financial loss. Help me hear somebody. Have you ever felt so attacked by Satan on occasions in your mind until you have found yourself saying, although not verbatim, but some words like this, God, I have no might against this attack in my body or my marriage or what my son or daughter is doing. I don't, I don't even know what to do. I, I, my eyes are upon you. Because you see, listen to me, some of the greatest works of Satan is when he's able to attack our minds and destroy our faith. Give me an amen, somebody. Satan's desire is to get you to turn away from God. To, to not receive what God has prepared for you. God's plan for you is for you not to live in a weak need, weak back, puny kind of testimony. God's desire for you is for you to be prosperous and in good health. But sometimes you got to fight some battles. Give me an amen, church. Matter of fact, for many of us, much of life is one battle after another. Because we don't live in glorified bodies. We're not in heaven yet. And the devil knows his days are numbered. So he has targeted many of us to do as much destruction in a short time as possible. He has a battle plan. You and I need a battle plan. And from this story, I find some resources. The first thing that God says when it comes to our battle plan that he gives us is do not fear. Now, much of what God will use and give us to use in the battle plan of our walk with Him might be contrary to the advice of the world. I mean, can you think about, Pastor, what are you talking about, do not fear? That's a pretty tall order in a perilous time in which we live. By that I mean that it seems like everything around us cries about fearing something or another. It appears to me that many of the cable news networks in America thrive off of the fear factor. Because all of us know that, that uh, some of those who are pursuing high ratings will, will use bad news and negative news and even edit it in a kind of way because a lot of people don't seem to be interested in, bad, in good news. So bad news gets the, uh, the limelight and the headlines, and at the same time, it can perpetuate fear. Can I get an amen here? We know about swine flu, and we need to be careful about swine flu, and we need to wash our hands and be properly uh, correct in our hygiene and our personal cleansing. And, and we need to, if you can get a vaccine, then that's fine. But, but here is my thought to you. Sometimes, and in the throes of this, we're being told that there's not enough vaccine, it's not coming soon, and more people are being hospitalized, and children are dying. And I'm not ignoring that. I'm saying to you, let's pray over it. But at the same time, we are not to fear as the people of God, because God is our healer. Go ahead and give a Lord a praise, somebody. We, we are bombarded every day with, with something to fear. We know the economy is what it is. Somebody said this week that the recession is over. I don't know whether they have their head in a duffel bag or not, but the recession is not over. I mean, i got people like you, brothers and sisters, in this service and the previous service who are still looking for a job, who are still praying for a miracle. They're, they're, the unemployment rate in America is almost 10%, so we got to keep praying and not fearing. Can I get an amen? 
I mean, the banks are closing. Over 103 banks closed since this year began. And the other issues, the stock market shoots up and shoots down, and it creates fear. There are other things, violence. All around us we are surrounded with terrible news of horrendous crimes. I tell you that it appears to me that the criminals are getting younger and younger every year. It appears to me that the the target of the crimes uh, uh, over the years have been younger and younger people and even older adults. We got people even like like Brother Will here this morning who are in law enforcement. And I I, want to say to you that that you, you don't even know if you're safe anywhere. It's amazing that we have to have a security plan for worship this morning. Did you know that? I grew up in a culture where you didn't have to have a security plan for the church. You didn't have to have a security plan for the parking lot or for the children or the sanctuary, okay? In case some of you was coming after me, I just wanted you to know. Uh, the, the, the whole fact of the matter is, is because fear and the reason to fear is all around us. Can I get an amen here? I'm, I'm not trying to create any paranoia, but I'm simply saying to you, terrorism comes to us from abroad. And sometimes some of the Americans who live here have gone on the wrong side of the law and we have domestic terrorism, a reason to fear. There are all kind, we have found out that we have elected leaders and we have put people in position as a, as a society. And then we found out that there are people who have been paid to lead large corporations and there have been corruption on every level of leadership in in America, in the government and in business and even in some churches. People that we trusted would look over our trust, would look over our children, look over our finances, look over our well-being. We found out some of these people have had a little dabbling and dealing and doing stuff under the table and they were criminals all the time. We were trusting them and it's no wonder we fear. And you know what else the devil does? He magnifies things to fear about. You know what the devil does? If he can't get you thinking about something to fear, he will come up with something and, and he will embellish it and make you worry about some stuff and fear about some stuff that may never happen in your life. Help me out here, somebody. He'll get you popping pills and you got to have a downer to go to sleep and an upper to get up. And you don't know whether you're getting up or going down. You, oh, God, help this preacher. And in the midst of all that, that's going on in our world, we hear God say, do not fear. I have read where 385 times in the Bible the word fear is mentioned. Must be an important subject. I have read where 62 times in the Bible the words fear not occur. That means it occurs one time for every second of time there is and two times extra in case you lose one. I've read where 26 times in the Bible, the three words are mentioned, be not afraid. Somebody ought to say amen. There's some things about fear that needs to be exposed if you're going to have a good battle strategy. I have found out that fear will never change your circumstances. Somebody say amen. You can be a soldier. You can be in your soldier boots and have your soldier helmet and have your soldier gun. But if you're afraid, it ain't going to change your circumstances. You can be sweating beads, but if you're afraid, it will not change your circumstances. Something else I found out about fear. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Because as a child of God, fear and faith cannot coexist. Give me an amen. The more you give in to fear, the more you give in to your imagination, the more you give in to the voice of the devil, the more you cause faith to be suppressed. And if we don't live by faith, we are not pleasing God. Can I get an amen? If you allow faith to over, fear, pardon me, to overwhelm your life, 
When you already know what you know about God, then you are saying to God, you can't heal my body. I'm telling you the truth. If you let faith be dwindled in your life and fear rise up, you're saying to God, you can't fix my marriage. You can't deliver my teenage son or daughter. You can't get so-and-so out of jail. You can't heal my mind. You can't give me a miracle financially. You can do it for everybody else because fear contaminates our faith. Here's something else about fear I found out. Fear will never conquer the enemy. Somebody say amen. In one account in the Bible, you know the story. How God caused the leader to dismiss everybody who came to fight who were fearful. Dwindled the army down to one third of the size it originally was. Because fear will never conquer the enemy. But I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. God has made enough provisions for your life and mine to overcome this thing of fear throughout the Bible. And I give you a few references. He talks about fear. Isaiah 41 and 10 says, fear not for I am with you. Say amen. Isaiah 41 and 13 says, fear not for I will help you. Somebody receive that right now. I like what Isaiah says in chapter 43 and verse 1. Look on the screen. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Lift up your hand. Say praise the Lord. The Bible says God knows everything about you. He knows about your name. He knows the number of hair on your head. He knows your social security number. If it matters to him, he knows your address. If it matters to him, but he don't have to have your social security. He doesn't have to have your address. He knows you. You belong to him. And he says, do not fear. But there's more. When you pass through the waters. How many know sometimes... Suffering can be equated to flood waters. When you pass through the flood waters of suffering, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, sometimes the battle you have to fight are like rivers that overflow their banks and flood the land. But he says, when you pass through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. He says, when you walk through the fire, how many know that some of the things you go through is like walking through fire, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When you walk through the fire of your suffering, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. I'm blessing myself right now while I'm trying to wake up a few hundred of you. Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, talking to his disciples about this thing of trusting him, believing in him, and not being fearful. Jesus teaching them to seek first the kingdom of God added that he clothes the lily of the field with their beauty. That he takes care of the birds of the air. And the sparrows and gives them a place to roost when they need it. And Jesus added in Luke's gospel, chapter 12 and verse 7, Fear not, therefore, for you are more value, of more value than many sparrows. Oh, God created the fish in the sea and the cattle on the land and the birds in the air. And he makes sure they're nourished every day. And he says, you, my precious one, are more valuable to me than all of these. Do not fear. Somebody put your hands together. Give a Lord a clap of thanks. In this battle plan of life, the second thing the Lord wants you to know is do not be dismayed. Now, I want to tell you something about these words, fear and dismayed. They must be close cousins. 
Because when I searched the definition of the word dismayed, I found out it means don't be stressed out. What a tall order in a stress-filled world. Don't be stressed out. The last thing you feel like doing when you get bad news is to be calm. But the Lord says don't be stressed out. The battle plan is don't be distraught. Man, you know what distraught is? It's coming to church like you just had prune juice for breakfast. Contorted face. And if we touch you, we might get electrocuted because you're so full of it. Don't be distraught. He says, don't be in tears all the time. Hear me, brothers and sisters. I want to help you out here now. Sometimes a good old boo-hoo cry feels good. And somewhere in your journey, like it is with me, but just because we're human, we're going to have to have a good old-fashioned tear-jerking boo-hoo cry. It helps sometimes. But God didn't mean for you to be crying all the time. Why me, God? Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll just eat worms. Crying all the time. I'm going to tell you something. If you want to cry all the time, play you some country music. It'll kill you faster than any kind of stuff. You tell them I said so. But after you had your crying spell, you need to get your hanky. Wipe those tears away. Get you some tissue and clear that nose. Wash your face. And say, I ain't camping out there. That helps for a little bit. But I am not going to fear and be dismayed. Because if God is for me, who can be against me? <laughs> and now I've got to be real careful about who I and what I use for illustrations in this church. I've been here so long, I've got a lot of stories, but I can't tell them. But I will tell this one, a lady who could switch from emotion of crime to emotion of anger at the snap of a finger. And this, this lady, she used to call me and, boy, she'd going through a hard time, something in her marriage, something with her kids, something with her health, something with her job. And, oh, breast cancer, breast cancer, breast cancer. And then she'd think of something else and she'd get mad. She'd change and say, I'll tell you something else, pastor. I want you to know about so-and-so. And then she'd think of something else. Don't be troubled. Don't be stressed out, distraught, in tears, and troubled. Don't be concerned. God's not trying to tell you to act like you ain't got a problem. What kind of God is that? Can I get an amen here? God's not trying to tell you to deny reality. What He's telling you is that He has a better plan than anxiousness and worry and fear and migraine headaches and panic attacks. How can God make that kind of request of us when there's so much junk going around us. Because in making the request, he made the provisions. Say amen. The provision is found in more than one place, but particularly Isaiah 41 and 10. Everybody read it out loud on the count of three. One, two, three. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Oh, my, 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 my. There are two promises there that X's out all the panic and stress and tears and concern. The first is, I am with thee. Can I get an amen here? God is saying, you are not in this alone. I know I'm over the seas and in the planets and the heavens. 
But when life comes at you like a flood, God says, I am with you. Somebody ought to say praise the Lord. God says, I am with you when you are in intensive care, and I'm with you when you're in recovery. I'm with you when you are in the dark night of your soul, and I'm with you when the sun shines in the morning. I'm with you when you get a bad report from the doctor, and I'm with you when I heal your body. I'm with you when they give you a pink slip on the job and say we're closing the company, and I'm with you when I give you another job. Somebody say amen. I'm with you when everybody's for you, and I'm with you when nobody's for you. I am with you. You, says the Lord. Let's keep it here for me, not out there. Here's another thought. For I am thy God. I don't know why I don't behave myself when I'm preaching Jesus. I thought I preached my liver out in the last service, and I got another liver to preach. I am thy God. They tell us that 7 billion people, 7 billion people live in the world. There have probably been 7 billion people who died since the world's been created and more. And if Jesus tarries and doesn't come back again soon and lets us go on, and he waits long enough, there may be 7 billion people who will follow us. But he says even though there's 7 billion people, over 300 million people in America, probably 6 million in Georgia, he says, I am thy God. Yes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Alan, I am your God. But I got enough left in me to be Donnell's God. I got enough left in me to be Jesse's God. I am thy God. Oh, I like to have the personal touch of that. Seven billion voices calling, but he's listening to mine and yours. That's why he says, don't be dismayed. <laughs> let, me, let me show you something else. The battle isn't yours. That, that, that's what you need to understand. When, you, when, when your marriage comes under attack. When your son and daughters hang around with the wrong crowd and now they are suffering the consequences of disobedient behavior. When you get a bad prognosis, when the bottom falls out, remember the Lord says, the battle's not yours. You know, in America... And in our way of trading and selling and consumer and products, free market. In America, usually, if you buy a big ticket item, not always big ticket, coming up with a small ticket item, you'll usually be offered a protection plan to go along with it. Know what I'm talking about? If you buy a car, they want to give you an extended protection plan. Uh, you could buy things like TVs, computers, cameras, sound systems, musical instruments, even people in pest control say, if you use our company, we will give you a protection plan. Now, now what they're saying is this. You already spent a lot of money for this product. And this product is as good as we say it is. But now, just in case we missed it, and this one you bought is a lemon... We'll make it right through the protection plan. They're saying, if you have to go to court, depends on what you purchase, we'll go for you. If, if you have to file a, 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 a sort of a legal brief, we'll do it for you. Uh, matter of fact, our protection plan, you don't even have to bring it back to the store. We'll come to your house and fix it. How many know their protection plan costs? Huh? Costs. You don't get their protection plan free. 
I mean, after what you paid for that item, you should get protection plan until Jesus comes. And you know, sometimes when you take these protection plans and you read the fine print, you find out less is protected than you thought was protected. The engine's not covered. The wheels are not covered. Pretty much you bought the steering wheel. That goes bad, we'll replace that right away. Because in man's protection plan and promises, we get disappointed. Huh? Anybody told you that they'll stay with you come hell or high water? Anybody ever told you, I'm your friend through thick and thin, I'm with you. And when it got thick, they got thin. <laughs> they got so thin I couldn't even see them. Oh, I've had people tell me, that they, you know, people first time coming to a church like this sometimes, and if they're looking for Pentecostalism, and they're looking for anointed singing and fiery preaching, and they come here, boy, we, usually they come and they think, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And some people make promises, Pastor, I'm with you. I mean, if you ever have to leave this church, I'm going where you're going. And I've had those same people leave without saying goodbye. Protection plan I'm talking about. You know? Because you can't live your life on man-made promises. But not so with the Lord. You see, you and I got a total protection plan at no extra cost because of what Jesus did on the cross for us 2,000 years ago. This, this thing about the battle is not yours is founded in this thought that it cost Jesus everything, but it cost us nothing for his protection. You see, when Jesus battled death, hell, and the grave, and when he said, whosoever believes on him should not have perish, but have everlasting life, he was making provisions for every possible way the devil could attack you. God has made provisions for another way for you to be delivered and blessed. That's good preaching. I wonder Jesus could say, and God could say here, the battle is not yours. You see, that, that's what King David found out when he wasn't a king and he was only a shepherd boy. That if you stay with God, he'll stay with you. If you fight for right, God will fight with you. Y'all ain't feeling as happy as I'm feeling, so I'm going to come down and spread the happiness. If I get too close, I might even spray the happiness. You know, David, just an old freckle-faced little teenage boy watching over his daddy's sheep. Daddy says, boy, the sheep are your responsibility morning, noon, and night. That's your job in this family. You know, he was pretty good with a slingshot. He could hit just about anything. But there were some occasions when a large bear would get its eye on one of the lambs over which David had oversight. Hungry bear. And, and the Bible says the Spirit of God would come upon David, freckle-faced teenage boy. And he would go and grasp the bear and, and hold his paws and release the lamb and kill the bear. Another occasion, the Bible says, that David's own testimony, when, when a lion, a ferocious lion came after one of the little lambs while David was overseeing the flock. The Bible says the Spirit of God came upon David and he Pull gently the lamb out of the lion's mouth and ripped open the lion's jaw, killing it. And then he happened on the scene one day 
God caused it, I should say, of where this large giant of a man on a hillside that separated the two sides was separated by a valley. The Israelites were here and the Philistines were here and their champion, nine feet tall, muscular, loud, armored, would bellow out threats to the people of God when King Saul was the man. You know the story, and I don't need to, to, to just go in details, but Goliath would mock the God of Israel, mock the soldiers, challenge them, send me your champion. I'm the champion of the Philistines. You send me one man. It's be one man on one man. Uno, Uno. Pretty good. Uh-huh. I'll say, one on one? Yeah, yeah. Exactly that. I went to college. If you, if your champion in Israel beat me and defeat me, all of we Philistines will come your servant. And vice versa. David saw how all the warriors of Israel shook in their tents and cowered. And he thought, what is wrong with these guys? I'll go fight this. Because he's mocking our God. Can I get a witness here? And Saul says, you can't go and you're not going to go because you're just a lad. And he says, but God's going to be with me. He told the story about the lion and the bear. Saul says, but if you're going to go, then I want you to take all my armor. And Saul was head, shoulder taller than most of the Israelites. And they couldn't fit David. And David got bold in the Lord. And he remembered how good God had been. And he went over, walked down in the valley, met mocking, scoffing, cussing Goliath. And Goliath looked at David and said, you little nothing. I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. What do you Israelites think you are mocking me by sending me a little boy to fight? And, and just about the time he got ready to get rid of David, the Bible says David was strong in his faith and he remembered God's deliverance before. And he said to Goliath that all the assembly shall know, all the witnesses to know, shall know today, that the Lord does not save with sword and with spear. Listen to me. Goliath had so much weapon, he had an armor bearer that had to carry all his weapons. He had somebody to carry his sword. The same person carried his shield. The same person carried his helmet. His armor was so heavy it weighed maybe more than David did. But David said, you come with me with sword and with shield and with spear and with armor. But I come to you in the name of the Lord. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Did God do it? And I guess I'm trying to tell you, some of you are fighting battles you don't need to fight. Some of you crying tears you don't need to cry. Because you need to position yourself. I said you need to position yourself in the promises of God. If you don't have a battle plan, you won't get whooped all over the field. It's kind of like Georgia Bulldogs got stomped last night. But I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, just telling you. But, but, but T-Boy and his elbow beat the snot out of the Georgia Bulldogs. And Pastor Jeff, I went to bed last night before the Phillies whooped the Yankees. Did the Phillies whip the Yankees? Oh, God, I'm distraught. But we got another switch going tonight. Yes, I lost my train of thought for being silly. If the, if the Georgia Bulldog don't have a battle plan, they're going to get stomped. If the Phillies don't have a plan or the Yankees, they're going to get stomped. Well, we just, our name is Yankees, our name is Phillies, and we're going to make it up. No, you, no, that ain't how it works. 
If you don't have a GPS in your car and you ain't got a clue where you're going, you're liable to get there in 2040. Some of us think we just got naturally, we, we can take anything naturally. No, none of us are so naturally gifted that we can do everything. You're going to lose your way or get messed up if you don't follow a plan. It's like the guy I like to talk about who came upon a sign on the highway. He usually travels home and the sign was in the middle of the road and says, detour, pointed that way, bridge is out. And he got mad. Bridge is out, nothing. Now it's 25 miles down the road to the bridge. But the detour will take you on around. He thought, I, I've been driving this road. I know this place. I know that bridge. And bless God, I'm going. Went right around the sign, drove it. Went 25 miles. Sure enough, found out the bridge was out. He couldn't get across. Kicked that baby in reverse, turned around, mad as a hornet. Drove back another 25 miles. When he come back to the sign, he saw the back side of the sign and said, Welcome back, stupid. If we, if we don't learn, we're going to pay. Hello? You know, you've you got, you got to find a position, a place on which to stand. If, when, when, when the marriage gets tempestuous, you better have a plan with God. When the sons and daughters you brought up in Sunday school and you prayed at the, at the table and brought them up in Christ and now all of a sudden they're living like the devil, you've got to have a plan. And the first thing you position yourself in is prayer. Anybody hearing me? Prayer will do for you what no other power can. And, and listen to me. Everybody can pray. If you can say, help me, you can pray. Just add God to it. Help me, God. The Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Everybody can pray. The Bible says pray without ceasing. The Bible says watch and pray. You got me see how close the enemy is coming? Watch, open one eye, close the other and pray. Because prayer will do more things in the heavenlies than any weapon that you and I have. Position, I'm telling you brothers and sisters, you are only as strong as your prayer life. Write that down or remember it. Here's another position you have to take. Position yourself in the Word of God. Did you hear me, church? The Word of God is called the sword of the Lord. Can I get an amen? That's the weapon we need for our battles. The Word of God. When life gets tumultuous, when the news goes from bad to worse, when it seems like the sickness gets worse, you bend your knees in the carpet and bury your face in the Word of God and tell the devil, my position is the Word of God. And the Word says, greater is he who is in me than all of the devil who's around me. Say amen, church. You need to memorize the word and know the word and quote the word over the devil. Say amen, somebody else. I'm telling you, you are only as strong as your prayer life and your knowledge of the word of God. Oh, my, my, my. Let, let me show you another position. I'm like, hurry. You need to position yourself like you're doing right now. Every week and every opportunity you can in the house of God. The Bible says in, in Hebrews 10 and 25, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Meaning in the house of God. Do not forsake the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some people are as the last day approaches. As the last day approaches, people are becoming rather independent in their thinking and living. So they don't always go to church. You know, God's idea of the church wasn't just because we could do something social on the weekend. 
God's idea of the church is that we build up one another. God's idea of the church is that you praise God with a choir and you get strength. You hear the preaching of the gospel and it's better than fuel in your car and food in your stomach because it lasts. Can I get an amen here? God's idea of the church is that you come together and some of you will encourage each other. Can I get an amen? God's idea of the church is that we all understand that we are in the same house of flesh. We go through some of the same common trials, but we hear each other's testimony. And if God helped him, and he helped him, and he helped him, then God is no respecter person. If I live and please God, he'll help me too. The house of God, the place of God. You need to, you need to position yourself with the right group of people who fear God. Let me show you something else about position, which causes you to win. You need to position yourself with some personal non-negotiables. And what I mean by that is, there are just some things that you and I need to make up our minds that we are not going to compromise in or negotiate about. Oh, yeah. Oh, help me. You have got to say to the devil... You are drawing a line in the sand. And he ain't coming here and you ain't going there. You have got to get on the right side. And what's the right side, Pastor Matura? The Word of God. Listen to me. I'm trying to tell you that God will only bless obedience to his Word. He won't compromise it. Give me an amen, somebody. If you want to know non-negotiables... If you will obey what God is blessing, God will bless you. If you and I will come into line with what God already says He will do for us without compromise, if we live in obedience to the command of God and live holy and refuse to compromise, to be politically correct or otherwise, then if we hold that position, even though the whole world may be against you, God will not fail you. You see, we got this politically correct culture. And since all of us want to have friends and influence people, sometimes we tend to compromise biblical morality. In this politically correct world, in this moral climate of flip-flopping in America, where this sin has been redefined, marriage has been redefined, murder has been redefined, God is looking for some people he wants to bless who will stand on the word of God and refuse to negotiate and compromise with the devil about his redefining of sin. One of my most favorite, one of my most favorite movies is Air Force One. Have you all ever seen it? Harrison Ford, raise your hand if you've seen it. Yeah, none of, some of you are not raising your hand acting like you're holding this Pentecostal. You've seen it, you've probably seen it worse than that. Air Force One, Harrison Ford. He's the President of the United States. And for some kind of mysterious way, he made a trip to to Russia. And on the way back, they allowed some Russian so-called journalists on board Air Force One to fly back to America to kind of have a little experience and all after they checked the clearance. And those Russian uh, journalists, so to speak, turned out to be Russian terrorists. And they took over the plane. I like that. I get so tired of the Hallmark channel. Hallmark. 
little old soothing, little old song, running streams, little house on the prairie. You get enough of that, man. Give me some. Okay. Feel better now? I'm going to preach. And what it is is, I mean, they got his wife hostage. They got his daughter hostage. They got him hostage. I mean, he says, we refuse to negotiate with the terrorists. Not going to do it now. Not going to do it later, regardless of what it costs. Now, that's just a movie. But in the real world, you have to refuse to compromise on the word of God to be blessed. Listen to me now. I'm trying to help you. I want you to get you through this battle. You cannot be living in fornication and adultery, sleeping around with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or with another man's companion, a woman's companion, and expect that you're going to be victorious and make heaven. It ain't going to happen. You've got to draw a line in the sand. See, I know Ellen DeGeneres is a lesbian. And I know Rosie is a lesbian. And I know that Cher has congratulated her daughter, who's now a he called Chaz. I'm out there. I'm out there. I see it too like you. Okay? I, I know they are, they are applauding the Hollywood crowd, the immoral crowd, the carnal crowd. Uh, applauding these lifestyles that God says he will not compromise on. I know there are churches in America, so-called churches, where men and women are preaching who are avowed homosexuals and people are coming supposedly to worship God. God ain't even a million miles near to that kind of place. Because there are some things on which God will not deviate. He is a holy God. He's a righteous God. He'll make no exception for me or anybody else. And I'm telling you, when I make exceptions and you make exceptions, there's some things you and I have to deal with every day that we have a cause to compromise. But if you'll stand your ground, if you've got to stand there alone, didn't Jesus say, didn't Jesus say, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring the sword. Didn't Jesus say, you misunderstand my mission. Because when you take a stand, mother-in-law is going to be against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Well, that's always been the case. Let me talk about something else. <coughs> Jesus said, when you announce no beer and alcohol in this house, when you announce no stinking, loud, satanic music in this house, you're going to make some people mad. <laughs> and I'm fixing to make some mad now, Jesus, but the battle is yours. I'm going to tell you something, buddy. I know if to go and make some changes now it might cost you. But when I was growing up in my mother and dad's house, there was no kind of worldly kind of trashy music. And no kind of posters of people who looked like they were ten times demon possessed hanging on my wall. When I brought up our girls, that's the way it was. You know why I could do that? Because I pay the bills. I put the food on the table. I take care of their health. And when they get out of my house... I hope they choose to live like that. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <laughs> you got to have some ground. Let me tell you. This is a sick, nasty world. This world is not our home. When other teenagers can look upon another teenage girl being sexually assaulted and not report it and watch it happen for hours, this is a sick perverted, corrupted world. 
Somebody need to draw a line on the sand and say, Mr. Policeman, I don't care what it costs me. I was there and he, he, he and he are guilty. We need some people to stand up on the side of justice and morality and virtue. The more I'm in this world, the less I want to be in it. And I'm not encouraging you to take me out of the devil either. But I'm not about to crawl under some place and compromise. <laughs> you, know, you know, some people, they don't want to come to churches like this because it's just too plain. As if to say, if I go to another church and it ain't so plain, I'll be okay. Living like the devil. No, you'll never be okay. But God says, if we'll, if we'll stand, position ourselves, give me the next slide, and remain in our position. Remain in our position. Next bullet. Having done all to stand, stand anyhow. The story ends in Second Chronicles 20. In verses 22 and 24. The Lord told Jehoshaphat, Look, because you're mine, and I'm yours. Because I love you and made you a promise, and because you prayed and fasted and held your position in the fear of God, you won't need to fight in this battle, Jehoshaphat. Here's the weapon you're going to have to use. Praise. Send the choir ahead of the army. Isn't that what it says in the Bible? Send the choir and let them sing song number 15. What's song number 15? Praise the Lord for his mercy endured forever. Now sometimes the choir wants to sing song number 50, but it's the same song if God says sing it. Praise the Lord for his mercy endured forever. The devil would have you resist that advice because sometimes the last thing you feel like doing when you're going through hell on earth is praising God. But you, are, you will be amazed at how praising God builds confidence in you. Did you hear me? And all the choir was supposed to do as they marched up to the mountaintop overlooking the valley where the battle was to be fought. Remember now, they are outnumbered 10 to 1. It's to say, praise the Lord for His mercy endured forever. They are to say it louder. They are to say it high and loud. Praise the Lord for His mercy endured forever. And every time they'd say it, they'd think about how God brought them through the Red Sea, the family in the past. How God gave them water in a dry land. How God gave them bread from ovens in heaven. Can I get an amen here? How God healed all their diseases. How none of their clothes wore out 40 years or their shoes and their feet. And so every time they praise God, something would come to their head. Can you give me an amen? Just like every time you praise God, if you could think of something in your head that God did for you, it builds your confidence in God. Last line. And so what happens is the Lord gave them such victory. Their praises confused the enemy. The enemy couldn't see them because they were in the valley coming this way. And the people of God were on the mountainside opposite them coming this way. And the enemies could only hear them. And they heard them. And their praises were so loud. They, the enemy, thought that there were a whole lot more on this side than there really were. And God allowed their praising him to confuse the enemy. The enemy became so confused, they thought that the Israelites were already among them. And they started killing each other. The enemies, by the praises of the people of God, started killing one another until all of them perish. 
And when the Israelites, meaning the people of Judah, came to the top of the hill still saying, Praise the Lord for His mercy, endure it forever. They looked down the valley and they saw only corpses. Not one person escaped and they didn't have to lift up a sword or a shield or a weapon because the battle was the Lord's anyhow. Stand with you. Everybody stand. And after you stood, put up your hands, put your hands together rather and give the Lord some more praises. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Alright, this is how we're gonna do this is how we're gonna do the close of the service. And if you don't have to leave, please tarry for me just a moment with me just a moment more and, and honor this point of power. Listen to me. You and I are directly responsible for the level of our joy. I just told you something. But I'm gonna position myself on the praise side. And I want you to do the same. I want you to help me in a moment, praise God anyhow. I want you in the name of Jesus. In just a moment, I'll tell you, we're going to say it three times. Praise the Lord for His mercy, endure it forever. And this time we're going to say it louder and deliberate. I'm not trying to give you some kind of mumbo-jumbo formula here, okay? I'm telling you that if you'll sincerely praise the Lord and give Him the sacrifice of praise, even if you don't feel like it, it will work for you by causing Satan and the demons of hell to be confused. Because they'll wonder, how come you're praising God when you should be crying? God doesn't just want to give you a battle, victory. He wants to give you a victory. It took them, it took the people of Judah three days to collect the spoils of the enemy. They could live on the groceries, the jewelry, the tents, and all the supplies of the enemy for more than three days. God wants to give you a victory now and later. But you've got to position yourself in praise. You also got to position yourself in purity. Bow your heads with me. Bow your heads with me, everybody. Pastor Allen, there's some things I just need to leave with God. So that I can fight a better battle. There's some things I've been fighting against God about when he told me to give up. And now I'm ready to give in to God. There's some things I've been resisting and knowing God wants me to deal with it. And I just hadn't faced it. And this morning I'm giving it to God. Raise up your hands. If that's you, I'm giving it to God. Thank you, Jesus. Now everybody else in the church, lift up your hands to the Lord. Now lift up your head. I want to offer a prayer. Come on, in Jesus' name, Father, as I lift my hands and lift my head to heaven. I pray, oh God, for the numbers of hands and the people they represent. Oh Lord Jesus, forgive us for negotiating with the devil. He's a terrorist of the worst kind. Forgive us for negotiating with sin and compromising. No wonder we're fighting so many battles. We're causing our own battles. God, sometimes we are our own worst enemy. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for gossiping, fault-finding, Complaining, Say amen, somebody. Forgive us, O oh God, for using our tongue and our speech to be critical instead of edifying and uplifting. Say amen, somebody. Forgive us for unforgiveness, God. Forgive us for bitterness and resentment and always being the victim. Father, in Jesus' name, if you can use anybody, use us today. We leave all of our human frailties at the altar, at where we stand. We give up all of our sins. And we ask that you'd wash us and cleanse us once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Put your hands together with me. Give a Lord thanks. I feel like praising Him. I feel like praising Him.
Pastor Jeff, stand on that side. They'll hand it to you as you come, but if you don't get to them, I've got baskets over here, baskets over here. Come up and get a prayer cloth like this <laughs> and take it. You might have to wait just a minute. Only one, please, so everybody can take it with you. This is better than your vaccine. It's been anointed, prayed over, and blessed. So as you go, come forward first. Get one, take it with you, take one for somebody else, and let's go on our way winning. Can I get an amen? Bless you. God bless you. Hey, Brother Will. 